Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Today, we're going to start with a little thought experiment. I'm going to ask you to think about something, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. But who or what do you consider to be enemies in your life? In preparation for this sermon, I asked some people the same question, who or what do you consider to be an enemy in your life? For some of us, we think of a coworker or perhaps a kid at school that's just a bully and picks on us. And so they end up in the category of enemy. For others, it's a boss or a parent who seems to always make our life difficult and block our goals and they end up in the category of enemy or perhaps someone that has hurt us. Usually as people think about it more, they start sharing things that are a little bit more internal. A few people said, struggling with anxiety. One person said, my battle with my allergies is an enemy. Someone else said, trying to be perfect for everyone. One mom I know said, I think I'm failing and I'm gonna ruin everything. A few kids said, I struggle to focus at school and that's my main enemy. I'm afraid of the dark. One little five-year-old said, my main enemy is my loose tooth. I just wanted to fall out. That was my daughter, Nessa. (laughs) They get a little bit more serious. Someone said, I live terrified of sickness and death all the time. Someone else, I have constant worry about money and the future. And then usually when people get really reflective and spend some time with it, they start saying things like this. In some ways, I am my own worst enemy, my habits, my addictions, perhaps a seemingly unending cycle of failure. One person even said, my worst enemy is my hatred of myself. And they just can't seem to get over it. These things are very common. And today I wanna share a short message called Facing Enemies. And we've been slowly walking through the most well-known scripture In the whole Bible, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Today, we're gonna look at verse 5a. That little a just means it's only the first part of verse five, and here's what it says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this was written by David, who had been a shepherd when he was a teenager, and so he understood what it was like to have sheep. And this whole Psalm is written from the perspective of sheep, And this is the first time in the Psalm when the metaphor shifts a little bit because they don't really have tables out in the pasture while they're taking care of the flock. And it brings in this sense of the shepherd preparing a table for me surrounded by enemies. Now, I think that before we can really understand it, we need to further clarify enemy. Who is my enemy? Who are our enemies? And in David's case, he very much had real physical enemies that at times wanted to kill him. He was a king, he was a warrior, as well as being a poet and a songwriter. And he had all kinds of battles with people. He wasn't always right, he wasn't always wrong. But many times people wanted to kill him. He also battled other things. We learn when we study the whole of scripture, so Psalms is in the Old Testament, and we need to look at it from the context of all of scripture. We are in the new covenant, the the age of grace. And when we understand the Old Testament through the eyes of the new covenant, we learn that Our enemies are not primarily physical people, but scripture teaches us that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and 
principalities and powers and, and forces in the heavenly realms. So there is very much a spiritual battle going on in our lives that are true enemies. And then it also teaches us that we have things like our sinful nature. And that's what a lot of people were reflecting on that I asked that question to. We, we have our addictions, we have our worst tendencies towards sinfulness, our own fear, our own anxiety. Uh, we do have a very real enemy, Satan. And we hear a lot of sermons or ideas about God's plan for our life. I believe it's equally true, Satan has a plan for your life. He would love for your life to turn out completely selfish and riddled, riddled with anxiety and fear and you torturing yourself for the rest of your life. That would be a big win for your enemy. He would love that for our kids. He would love that for our grandkids. So we are in a battle, but it's not primarily people. And I think before we really look further at this text, we have to shift our mind away from the sense that we are battling people. In fact, we as Christians are meant to be the ones that can look at anyone, whoever stands before us, no matter what they're doing to us, and understand that our fight is not actually primarily with them. And I think this really hurts the witness of Christ in the world a lot of times, because we can end up thinking that we're fighting against people that disagree with us. And how can we lead them to the place of hope? How can we lead them to the good shepherd if all we're doing is fighting against them? It's just the wrong fight. It's the wrong focus. We, we get all tied up in our energy. And it's, it's helpful to realize and reflect on that right now in our polarized country. A lot of us, as we see the progression of culture and everything that's happening, our tendency is to almost wanna defend God and put on the fighting gloves. But that's just not the posture we're called to. God is God. The word of God is the word of God. It's, it's not threatened. We know that those that don't know Jesus and walk with him are gonna go other directions. What we're meant to do is understand there is a bigger fight and see through all of it and love the person with compassion and care, relentlessly and radically love them. Are you tracking with me on that? So I just wanna shift away from the sense that we're fighting physical enemies here that are people, but we are still very much in a battle. And if you look at just the first two words, you prepare, you prepare. There is a sense that this shepherd, this God was very much ready for the enemy. And here's the principle. God is never surprised by an enemy. To us, it feels like we just get pummeled. There's this new problem. It's weighing us down. It's a shock. How could I ever be dealing with this? This is gonna take me down. We should be encouraged by the reality that our enemies, no matter how difficult they seem, are not a surprise to God. He is always already prepared to help you, to be with you, to teach you, to walk with you through it. I like this quote from John Piper. To be surprised, you have to be uncertain about what is coming. You have to be ignorant. God is never ignorant about the future or about anything. He is never uncertain about what is coming. This is really good news because the biggest enemies we face, the, thing that, the things that really get in our head, they try to convince us that we're the only one dealing with it to that degree. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just isolated here. This is gonna take me down. But it's really good news when we understand that God is not surprised by even the deepest, darkest enemies you face. He's, in fact, been there many, many, many times with many, many, many other people. And he knows also. He already knew it was coming. Think about Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. We studied the life of Peter before we got into this series on Psalms. Peter had one of the most public and recorded failures <laughs> in all of human history. Because when Jesus got arrested and started being taken to the cross, Peter was pressed by the crowds of people and in his fear, 
audibly and out loud and even with cursing denied that he knew Jesus. And it'd be bad enough, but Jesus told him he was gonna do it before he did it. And Peter said, I will never do that. I will die with you. Fast forward just a little bit. He is cursing and denying that he ever knows Jesus. Peter is now in this tailspin of facing the enemies of failure and defeat and not understanding why you do what you do. And what I love about this is at the same moment that Peter is facing this very familiar enemy that we all face, failure, weakness, we're all in the same boat with these things. Jesus is in fact making way for Peter's restoration through what he's doing on the cross at the exact same moment. In other words, Jesus was not surprised by Peter's enemy, even though it was Peter's fault. So wherever you are and whatever you're facing, God is not surprised by it. It is an enemy that has been understood and found wanting when it comes to the power of God. The power of your enemies is nowhere near as strong as the power of your savior, the living God. And he's not surprised by your enemy, so you don't need to be weighed down by your enemy. I love that. That's just the first two words, you prepare. What does he prepare? Scripture tells us a table before me. Now, that's where probably a lot of us are just like, I don't really need a table right now. <laughs> like, I would love for you to take down my enemies. Uh, very nice what you're doing with that table, but what am I gonna do with the table? Please destroy my enemies. That's probably what I would say. Think of an actual table surrounded by all your enemies, and God is saying, this is what I'm preparing for you. Well, you have to understand what a table represents throughout scripture. It's really two things. It is relationship with God, because at a table, what are you doing? You're entering into relationship with people. That's why breaking bread is so important. I love getting coffee with people. Yes, I do love coffee, but more so because I love being in relationship with people. You're enjoying it together. And so when you set a table for someone, you're inviting them into relationship. Also, this word in Hebrew is really synonymous with feast. So it's quite literally, not actually literally, symbolically, a feast of provision. And so here's this principle when, well, I didn't even say the last one. When you face an enemy, God is already there preparing a table for you. The table represents intimacy and provision because a relationship with God, he wants to he already knows you fully. He wants you to know him fully. It is that kind of intimate relationship where you talk about everything and anything with this person, like you would, like you would with an absolute best friend that you completely trust, that you, that you know will die with your deepest, darkest secrets. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with you. And it's kind of obvious. He already knows these things because he knows them all, but he invites you to discover them for yourself in relationship with him in the context of being surrounded by your enemies. And then at the same time, he's saying, I am going to provide for you. So this table is relationship and provision right in the middle of what you think is the fight of your life. But he's saying, I'm preparing this table for you. Mind you, it is not just a relationship with any old person and it's not just provision from any old person. It is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It starts by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. That's talking about Yahweh. So I don't know if you've experienced this, but you probably have to some degree, even when you're a little kid, when you get to come to the, your parents' table, if you will, not that they're separate tables, but all the tables are your parents when you're a little kid, you step into the resource of your parents. 
You step into the seat that your parents purchased for you. You'd be powerless to purchase that seat for yourself or even find that seat. You'd be powerless and have the total inability to even put any food on that table, but you're invited to the table of your parents. You don't realize how powerful that is when you're a little kid. Eventually you do realize it, usually when you're providing the table for other people and you realize, oh, that costs something. And then you tell your parents, thank you for everything you did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Times that by 100, we're talking about the living God, the table of the Lord. My wife and I lived and uh, pastored in Los Angeles for eight years. And in Los Angeles, there's a, it's, Nashville's like this too. There's a really broad spectrum of income. So you have people all over the streets that have nothing. And you have some of the richest people in the world, like right next to each other on the same street all the time, every day. And we were a lot closer to the on the street side, <laughs> if you're tracking with me. We, we lived in these little apartments and we were like raising our kids and it's really expensive. And every once in a while, as we just met people there and ministered, we would meet someone that had a lot of means. And it's like they lived in a whole different category of Los Angeles. We would get invited into rooms that we didn't even know were there. Like we didn't even know these things existed. And we got invited to tables that we didn't even dream of with food that we had never heard of. And we were invited into their resource and into relationship with them. Again, times that by a hundred, we're talking about the living God. And I just love this image when we feel like we might be getting beat down by all of our enemies. Literally, they're right there. God is saying, have relationship with me and Partake in this feast, partake in this table. The table of the Lord and the fact that you're invited to it also implies that there is very specifically a seat for you at that table. When we first got to this area, Nashville, where we first moved to, it was a little over three years ago, it was a start over for us. We were coming to a brand new city and we didn't know anybody here Literally, I had one pastor friend in the area and it was just an acquaintance. So we knew no one. We were coming with our three daughters. Jess was pregnant with our son and we weren't coming to a job. We were coming to start a church. Even though there are so many churches here, we just were trying to be faithful to what we felt like God was calling us to do. I was kind of embarrassed to be a church planner when I got here. I'm like, who needs more churches here? This is crazy. So many churches, but we had nothing. So we were surrounded by a lot of enemies. If you've ever been in a season of life like that, you know what it is to feel surrounded by enemies, your own insecurity. Where is next month's income gonna come from? Where's the next 10 years of income gonna come from? Who are we gonna meet here? What relationships are we gonna have? We were very much surrounded by enemies, but thankfully, uh, a mutual friend of mine introduced me via text to the leader of a denomination called the Assemblies of God here in Tennessee. And that's the group that I hold my ordination with. I didn't know this gentleman. His name is Terry Bailey. He's become a friend now. But since I had a direct introduction like that, Terry Bailey opened his, uh, his life up to me, welcomed me into his space, brought me out to, he's a big movie fan. I'm a big movie fan. Started inviting me to watch movies with him. It was a strange thing to get invited to go watch movies with the superintendent and the, the overseer of all these churches. We started hanging out and building relationship. And so within that first few months, I got asked to be on this certain team uh, to serve within the context of this network. And I showed up to the office that I had never even been to, surrounded by people that I don't even know. And there was a table in there, a big boardroom. And at that table, there was a seat. And at that seat, there was a little placard that said Nathan Kolar. And that was my seat for now coming to be on the team. 
track the metaphor with me. We're surrounded by enemies. We don't know what we're gonna do, but there's a relational connection. I was invited to the table, if you will, of Terry Bailey. <laughs> you tracking with this? Invited to the table of Terry Bailey, opened up relationship there. That relationship is what eventually, six months into being here, introduced me to our pastor emeritus here at Graceland Church, the former senior pastor, Ralph Duncan, which led to this merger that led to this wonderful group of people, all this resource, this land, this thing that blew our minds happened within nine months of getting here. So track with me. This is just a picture, I think, of Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table for me when? When you're surrounded by your enemies, when you're completely overwhelmed. And what is it based on? Relationship and provision. And so that's just a small little example that barely even reflects light on how profound what God does for us actually is. And the way this manifests really practically is this, and here's my encouragement. Every enemy you face is an invitation to intimacy with God. Don't get discouraged when you face an enemy. See it as an invitation to lean into knowing God more. That's called reframing. I teach about this a lot. I learned this in visual arts school. You can have a very large painting or a photo or something and it's not that spectacular, but if you take a smaller frame and just move that smaller frame to explore all around that larger picture, you are reframing and you will discover different compositions that you couldn't even see before and it can become the most magnificent piece of art just because you've reframed and it completely transforms something that was dull and ordinary into something beautiful. And this takes it even further. A situation that could be terrible, surrounded by enemies, another blow, another challenge. Can I really take this? If you reframe that, as an invitation to remember, you prepare a table for me right in the middle of this. Let me lean into relationship with God. It becomes a reminder to just walk intimately with God and talk to him about everything. That's the amazing thing about the Psalms. Pour your heart out to God. Tell him everything that is in there. I've shared a little bit with the congregation about this before, but as you guys know, I'm a pastor of this church. So grateful. I have wonderful wife, I have four beautiful kids. I, I have lots of wonderful friendships in life. I'm very grateful. I have peace and joy in my life. But I also am a guy that has really high highs and really low lows on a regular basis. It's in my temperament. It's probably part of my sinful nature. It's something I've talked to the Lord a lot about. It's never been fully taken away from my life. So it's something that I have gradually, and there's still a lot of work to do, learned to manage and deal with. And the Psalms and this invitation to intimacy with God is also an invitation to just be honest with God about every single thing going on while surrounded, sit at the table and dine with the king. And I just encourage you to do the same. Rather than thinking you are fatally flawed or your enemies are just stronger than other people's enemies, use those enemies as reminders. In that sense, they are a gift. It's like what Stephen said before he sang his song. He said, in some ways, I'm really, I think I'm lucky to be an alcoholic because it's forced me to work these steps for my whole life. And there's so many gifts in that. What he's doing when he's working those steps is he is dining with the king. He is sitting at his seat at the table of the Lord. And the reason he cries every time he sings that song is because it's overwhelming to know that you have a seat at the table of the Lord with your name on it. So my invitation, my encouragement to you today is come back to your seat. <laughs> Don't, you know, we, we tend to just like wander off and like go off into this self-reliance and 
pity parties and struggle. Stay at your seat at the table. And it's not a guarantee that things are easy, but use the enemies as reminders. And then the other thing that the enemies remind us of is they are our invitation to trust God for our provision. He actually sets a feast for us at the table. And if you think about it, the main course at the table of the Lord is communion. What we're doing when we practice communion and when we remember what Jesus did for us is we are reminding ourselves, come to the table of the Lord. And so what we're gonna do to close is take communion together. And any of you guys are welcome to take it with us. If you don't have a packet, you can raise your hand if you'd like one and someone will bring you one. Does someone have the packets back there? Brad, can you help us out if, if you don't see anyone else moving? There's a basket right out in the foyer with the, or it's right there, thank you. Brad will bring you a packet. Just raise your hand up. I think there's one up here, Brad, thank you. Um, anyone is welcome, but know that by taking communion, you're saying, I wanna be a father of Jesus. That's what you're doing. It is for those of us that are fathers of Christ already, we're reminding ourselves of the sacrifice of Christ. For those of you that may not be fathers of Jesus, this can be your response. If you wanna just say, I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to guide my steps. I wanna know you. I want forgiveness for my sins. Take communion with us. If, if you're worshiping with us at home, uh, live online, I encourage you to partake as well. You don't need to use an official cracker or even grape juice. You can use any kind of bread, cracker, any kind of liquid. It is not the specific form, it's what this symbolizes. And I encourage you, you can take communion every day if you want. It is a reminder, you are preaching the gospel to yourself, the good news of Jesus. One last thing before we partake, on my wedding day, we're, we're married 14 years now, my wife and I, there was a communion cup because we, we were gonna partake together as part of the ceremony. And it didn't hit me until we were in the middle of the ceremony. The cup was clear, but it had imprinted on the side our names, Nathan and Jessica Kolar, written on the cup, filled with the juice that represents the blood of Christ shed. And it hit me like a wave. How incredible is it? And I believe this is just biblically true that there is, if you will, a cup of the blood of Christ, specifically which is your name on it. Provision for you. It, it's, it's that personal. And when I first really encountered the presence of God, it was taking communion. It was something about the personal reality of my sin, my shame, my brokenness, my decisions, all laid out before the Lord, forgiven. And the King of Kings being the lifter of my head out of shame, out of the brokenness, lifted to where? The table of the Lord. This is beautiful. And so let's preach the gospel to ourselves today as we partake. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we give you thanks for your body. Jesus, we thank you for being a good shepherd, for loving us, for disciplining us, for caring, for ultimately laying down your life on our behalf. We remember this good, good news this new kingdom that you've invited us into as we partake of the bread today. Let's eat, church. And in verse 25, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you that your blood was spilled in place of ours. You've taken upon yourself all of our brokenness, all of our shame, and you've given back to us your righteousness 
your peace. It's so, so good to be at peace with you, God. It's so, so good to be at rest, to be unfinished people resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we preach this good news to our heart today as we remember and we drink together. Let's drink, church. Just thank God from your heart, church. Just thank him. Let gratitude rise up. Let the truth rise up. You carry us, Lord. You bring us where we otherwise would never be. You provide for us, Lord. We thank you. We give you thanks. We're grateful. Help us to run back to our place at the table. Revelation 3.20 says it incredibly powerfully. God says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Ultimately, what this Jesus thing is, is we're invited to this big party, this big feast, this big celebration, this new kingdom. Do you guys wanna come along together and be in this party? Imagine if we all just lived like that and invited other people to the party. That's what we're doing. Imagine if we all just did that. That's what the church is. I'm gonna pray this benediction over us. A little bit of a different ending today, I know. We'll be dismissed after this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the good news of God's victory, of peace and forgiveness available to all who believe. Go from here to share that good news with all you meet. And may the blessing of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be among you and within you. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have an amazing afternoon. See you soon.